Work zones. Choke points brought to you by Acton's Quality Roofing. We have them in school zones. We have them in intersections. It is a time to put photo enforcement on the freeways to keep speeds down at work zones. Chris, what is the legislature thinking about? Well, they're thinking about adding speed cameras on our freeways or just about anywhere you could have a work zone. And to kind of just lay some groundwork here, 2022 was the deadliest year on Washington's roads in several decades. 745 people were killed on our roads last year. That eclipses the number of fatalities in 2021, where 670 people died, which was also a record. It is with that backdrop that the legislature is looking for any ways to make things safer for those that work on our state's roads. Now, earlier this session, we talked about the tow truck driver bill that would allow them to put blue lights on their trucks for better visibility. Now comes the plan to add work zone speed enforcement cameras on the roads. These would be cameras that they, you could put up in work zones that would take pictures of the license plates of speeding cars and issue tickets accordingly. They could be set up in any work zone as long as there is signage that warns the drivers that they are there and they are active. Travis Snell is with the Washington Department of Transportation. The program is intended to be a tool to enhance and complement existing state enforcement efforts and to change driver behavior, reduce overall speed, and increase increase safety for our highway workers and driving public. There were 28 people killed in work zones on Washington roads between 2019 and 2022. Brandon Dully is the president of Atkinson Construction. We control everything we possibly can, but what we can't control is the traveling public. Each year we have near misses, equipment damage, direct hits. Mark Otley has seen seen way too many near misses and accidents while working on the freeways for granite construction. Personally seen semi trucks plow into our crews. I've seen bodies scraped off the ground. I've seen the jaws of life opening up cars. We've had to close I-5 to allow helicopters to land on I-5 uh, to, to take lifeless bodies to, to Harborview. Ollie told the Senate Transportation Committee this week that his office is a very dangerous place to work. It makes me absolutely sick to my stomach uh, not knowing if I'm going to come home every day to my family, my 10-year-old son, and my 14-year-old daughter, and it makes it also just as sickening my fellow crew members that they're going to be able to come home and to, the, to their loved ones and family. He wishes the drivers would simply slow down approaching work zones, but that's just not happening, and that's why this enforcement action needs to be implemented. I wonder if people would slow down if they knew it was their, their daughter, son, grandfather, mother, aunt, uncle that was in those work zones working behind a piece of orange plastic between them and the travel and the speeding traffic. This bill has bipartisan support and only one person testified against it. And that was on some technical grounds about where the money would go or, you know, what court would be able to end up adjudicating this. Here's a Republican Senator Curtis King to wrap things up. This is a big deal. We need to pass this bill. Boy, good for them. I'm glad to see it's it's bipartisan because it's uh, I just I I don't see how you can forgive that. There's always plenty of warning and and sometimes i'll kind of these things unexpectedly early in the morning when i come into work as they're doing you're still doing oh, the, yeah. the overnight road work oh yeah and uh, and they're narrowing it down you know to, to two lanes and you're trying to get over and somebody just decides they're gonna pass you on the right or it, it it doesn't make sense to me especially that hour or the times when they're tearing down the work zones you know when the guys are out there in the lanes you know pulling the cones back and things like that when they're at their most vulnerable yeah i mean it just seems to me i don't know why you would be 
why you wouldn't automatically slow down in a work zone, especially in the dark and at night. I mean, I, I am so careful when I go through those things. Uh, and so it's, yeah, it, it seems like this is something, if you're going to use speed cameras, you should use them maybe where they can actually do some good to maybe yeah. change driver behavior. I mean, that's why they're in school zones. This one just seems kind of like a no-brainer. I know to a lot of people, to put a freeway speed camera up mm-hmm. seems... You know, like, whoa, 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 you could have put these on a free. Well, you know what? That's where the people are dying. Yeah. So we'll we'll see where this goes. It seems to have, you know, bipartisan support, obviously, and uh, not that they need it in Olympia right now. But uh, I, I think this one has a pretty good chance of, of going somewhere and maybe ending up at a governor's desk. Yeah. That's a good thing. And it's automatic ticket, right? They oh, catch yeah. you and you just get the ticket. Yeah, you get the ticket and it, you know, it's done just like a school zone one, you know, it doesn't go against your, you know, it just pops into the, you know, and it's handled on the in How a much is that going to be? Uh they I don't think they've set the rate on that, but I'm assuming if it's, you know, kind of standard, it might be, you know, in the $128 range to start and of course, it, you know, if you're going way over, you could they could always add whatever they wanted to just like yeah. if there was a regular officer there. I mean, if you're going 85 in a in a 60 past a school zone, I'm sure they would find a way to reinforce that that's not a very good idea. Yeah. In the legislature, rent control and police pursuit are on the agenda. Let's go to Cairo News Radio's Matt Markovich, who joins us live. So rent control, what what is the, the current status of rent control in Washington State, Matt? Well, Dave, good morning. It's illegal, and it has been illegal for 41 years set by the state lawmakers. Uh, so you can't have any control of rent, but because of the rising rents that we've all been seeing and hearing about, um, they're talking about it, but they just don't use the term rent control. They use the term rent stabilization. So just don't call it rent control. Okay. So, um, and and just to let you know that the Biden administration just yesterday started thinking about rent control of its own on uh, on properties that are where loans are carried by Freddie Mae and uh, and, and Fannie, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Like that. um, that's about seven hundred thousand properties. So even the federal government's thinking about it. But in the in the, our state. The Democrats are proposing a, a pair of bills that would basically cap rents to the consumer price index every year, you know, 3%, which is, which is ever greater, and with a maximum of 7%. You can raise a rent more than 7% a year, and this is across the state. And there's another bill that would actually tie to uh, uh, create a definition of a predatory landlord if you go – over that, um, it would prompt an AG investigation. You can be fined up to $25,000 if you wow. raise your rent more than 27%. Hmm. So um, that would penalize people who've kept their rents down. Under a regime like that, it would be in your interest to just automatically increase rents each year by the maximum. Yeah, well, and but a lot of people they, uh, during the testimony, there were a lot of small landlords that just said, "Hey, I can live with a seven percent increase every year. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm being trying to be responsible, and not really greedy." Yeah. Alex Remo is a representative uh, talking about this and presenting it, and he says rising rents are leading to homelessness. Every hundred dollar increase in average rents in a community leads to a nine percent increase in homelessness. You know, I heard that, and I was trying to find out where that research came from. He didn't cite it, but mm-hmm. uh, that was kind of news to me. Um, and, um, but Chester Baldwin, who represents 30, excuse me, he represents the Rental Housing Coalition and a m- bunch of uh, landlords that own mobile homes. He basically saying rent control everywhere is just failing. 
The rent control policy has failed everywhere it has ever been enacted in this country. It has not fixed one housing problem anywhere. It also does not distinguish between rich and poor in who gets the benefits of rent control. And that's a big deal here that Chris Dobler said as well. She's a property manager, and her company handles 30,000 rental units. Rent control allows and encourages more affluent renters to stay, and they become what we call permanent renters because people stay in rent control departments longer. And she had a suggestion for lawmakers. If you want to decrease the costs of rents, you need to put a cap on property taxes. Yeah, that's one of the things that landlords will say when they're increasing rents. I want to at least recapture my, my uh, property tax increase. So was there any? what was the reaction to that? Uh, the blank faces. <laughs> uh, you know, again, the Democrats are running the show here, and they just during these hearings, they just kind of sit there and listen and maybe ask a question. But they didn't ask a question about that. But that was a big deal about uh, the raising rents, because if you have rent control, it, it, the intention is it's going to help out people who can at least afford the rent. That's the idea. But with rent control, as they said, it doesn't matter if you have a $5,000 house a month, you know, $5,000 a month for a big old house, and you put rent control on that, those people have affluent. They, you assume that they have the money to pay that. So rent control hope is a cr- across-the-board benefit for renters. Yeah. Landlords, obviously, are upset about it. Yeah. Okay, the uh, police pursuit issue, where does that stand? Well, this is kind of interesting. I brought this up because this uh, it seems to be the big brouhaha with Republicans and Democrats. And it's involving uh, Senator Mongor Dingra, who controls a very powerful committee in the Senate that hears these bills. And she refused to hear a bipartisan bill uh, last week that, you know, obviously both Democrats and Republicans have agreed upon. And so now both sides are calling her out. Here's John Brown. He's a Republican. Uh, John Brown, he's a Republican minority leader in the state Senate and says Republican Republicans and Democrats have agreed on a fix. This is a negotiated solution that gives them the authority to pursue based on reasonable suspicion. I'm comfortable that if it was presented on the floor of either chamber today, it would get strong bipartisan support. Now, Dingra uh, saying that the intention of the pursuit bill was not so much to, um, you know, go after the bad guys and, and hamper police. It was to save innocent lives who may be caught in a police chase. Um, but uh, Braun is saying that Senator Dingra maybe is just standing in the way, but she does have the backing of her caucus. So, so here's what here's what he had to say about that. Senator Dinger needs to be held accountable for her unwillingness to even hear the issue. That should be unacceptable. But make it clear that she serves at the pleasure of her caucus. Uh, If her caucus says we want to hear this, they are in a position to do this. So it's not clear to me, based on discussions with some of the other members of that caucus, that they're quite so, so willing to let her do that. So he's implying that the some of her Democratic erstwhile allies don't agree with her on this issue? Yes, and then some have already talked about that publicly. Mm-hmm. Oh, they have. Um, okay, so that's out uh, in the open. So, so, so she's feeling the pressure, but she's going to stand firm. She's a very strong senator, and the the issue with all this is that why it's so important with her. She controls this committee, so no matter if the House comes up with a fix and passes the entire House, it goes over to the Senate, and then it has to go through her committee. Yeah. And if it has those words. A reasonable suspicion, and we've we've talked about that before. Reasonable suspicion, you know, if you hear about, let's say, there's a burglary in the neighborhood, and you kind of hear that it's a Ford Thunderbird that they're looking for, and you see a Ford Thunderbird, and you pull it over, um, that's 
considered reasonable suspicion. But if you if someone said, "Here's a license plate," is a it's a tall guy driving. More specifics, then you have probable cause to pull over that Thunderbird, and that's what's in the law right now: probable I cause. So and, this is to loosen the standard for initiating a police chase. Correct. And also, when you pull when you pull somebody over, a lot of people. I think the state patrol said there was several hundred cars that just drive away because they the they were pulled over for some sort of suspicion of something and mm-hmm. and they can just, just simply drive away under the law right now so that's what police want they want it a little stiffer um, they want to be able like you said loosen it up so they can go after the guys that they suspect have been committing crimes but again she's saying that this whole bill is based on saving innocent lives during a police pursuit well who's right i mean we we, we must have numbers on the number of people who die in pol- i mean one is too many but i mean is it gone up or has it gone down since this she, uh, no, she's saying it's gone down. You know, there's relatively three people uh, per year mm-hmm. uh, that are killed in a police pursuit, and that number has dropped over the last uh, since this law went into effect last year. But then you've okay, now even not, the data is being considered. You know, it dropped from three people a year to what? Are there now? I mean, zero or what? No, no, no. It's uh, she says less than three. So. We don't know the the numbers that she's citing is a UW study, but now you have this professor, criminal um, professor from the University of Seattle, Seattle University, who's challenging the UW study that she's based on and saying those numbers are flawed, uh-huh. and that the police departments have all the numbers of how many people they've pursued, and that data has not been presented to the state legislature. Well, I think we could agree that maybe. We should read that first before making a decision, right? Correct. Incorrect. Okay. And so you're going to hear some argument. You're going to hear this one professor that Brandy Cruz had on her afternoon show last week, you know, basically chastising the data that uh, Dingra was using and that uh, the police the police departments just need to get together and coalesce all yeah. their pursuit data and present it to the legislature. Matt Markovich of the state legislator. Matt, thank you very much. You're welcome, Dave. Ah, oh, now you got to get you some of that dopamine. Ooh, that's uh, a good one, too. Where do you sell that? Oh, I don't know. I was spackling the other day, and I kind of felt it. See? So, there you yeah, go. good stuff. Your daily dose of kindness brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. When a Milwaukee store owner heard one of his neighbors had fallen on hard times, he knew he could help. Emerson Lehman with CBS affiliate WDJT-TV has the story. A 2008 GMC Yukon. Over 160,000 on the odometer. To many, it's just another used car. For Ronnie... That was a prayer answer. Late last year, Ronnie's truck was vandalized, leaving the 61-year-old without reliable transportation. Oh, very angry and upset. He'd catch rides with friends and even walked over four hours from Milwaukee to his job in Waukesha. I had to get to work. <laughs> prayed and kept walking. Those prayers were answered and feet given a rest. I had somewhat of a little following, so I thought we could do something for him. Caleb Nickel owns Ormson Supply in Bayview and has known Ronnie for over a year. A simple Instagram post explaining Ronnie's situation led to $30,000 in donations in just under three days. I told him to get something brand new just get the nicest thing you can get. Ronnie had other ideas. I didn't need that much. It was more than what I could, you know, would, would need. And he said he only wanted like 16000 and to donate the rest. A grateful, hardworking man back on the road trying to return the generosity his fellow neighbors showed him. And I will keep on doing my best to pass this forward as long as I can. In Bayview. Well, I just helped one when it was enough to help more than one person. 
Emerson Lehman, CBS 58 News. Seven forty-seven now from the G and Ursula Show, which starts at nine o'clock. Here he is, G. Scott. Did you hear that CBS report we aired earlier on wage theft around the country? I hear everything you guys do every single morning. Six hundred fifty thousand complaints of people who did the work and didn't get the money. A person who shoplifts, a person who shoplifts merchandise worth seven hundred and fifty dollars or less, it's a misdemeanor, right? Mm-hmm. If it's over $750 in some of those circumstances, then it is deemed a felony. Here's a question for the two of you. In the last three years, five years, ten years, when have you guys reported on an employer going to prison because they stole wages from their employees? Never. How are they doing it? There's always different ways that they're doing it. Let's just take construction, right? Okay. You sometimes you have undocumented workers mm. that are working there. And sometimes you're like, eh, you know what? I don't want to pay you. I was thinking about this, but I'm not going to say who I worked for. So when I first went to learn how to detail vehicles, I went to go work for a detail shop. Mm-hmm. I worked there six weeks. There was other people working there as well. Folks weren't getting paid. Hmm. Were you not like on the books? Where they just it was no, like all, a, oh, it was all it was all cash. Uh-huh. Oh, it was all it was all, it was all it. cash. Yeah. So that's one of the popular ways that sometimes that happens. You know what I mean? You know, you have that going on out there. Um, but I experienced that. But I was cool with it because I just wanted to learn whatever about the pay. I just wanted to learn how to do it. So that was really my goal in doing that. But not only does this hurt the employee, this hurts, okay, the taxpayer. Because when you have wage theft and you have employees, and by the way, this hurts those that are the minimum wage folks that are that are barely making, can't afford to go get an attorney. I'm not talking about the folks that are well-to-do. I'm talking about those who are on the lower scale of, of pay. But when that happens and when you hurt them, then they have to go and do what? They got to go get food assistance, mm-hmm. right? They sure. got to go get their income subsidized. In the state of California, according to your report, the average worker doesn't get money back until at least 492 days. I don't know yeah. how you get to the point as an employer where you feel okay not paying it. Like, how do you get to that point where you don't feel bad or you don't feel evil or you like oh, how do no, you sleep at night? I can answer that. It's no different than someone going to steal, right? Like, it's the same thing. Mm. The only difference is it is only villainized when, oh, my gosh, I was at Safeway the other day, and, oh, my goodness, this guy walked in, and he stole a bunch of steaks and shrimp, and, 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 and oh, my goodness, that's leading news. They stole some potato chips. Yeah. I was downtown Seattle, and I was in a convenience store, and they just came in, and you should have seen them. They took the apples and the bananas. Oh, my mm. goodness. You like to see the same outrage against people who uh, don't pay wages. So my question is, yeah. is why? Why, why, why don't we have the same outrage? I think it's because the people who who are victims are, like you say, sometimes here without their documents, and they're scared to go to the authorities, or they're just in general they're beaten down by the system, and they well, like you, you you eventually accepted it and said, okay, it's part of my training, maybe I'll make it back later, and you yeah. don't complain. 
I was fine because uh, two months later, I went over to the uh, Seahawks training facility in Kirkland. <laughs> it worked out. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> he was fine with it because he got revenge by yeah. doing well. Exactly. And, uh, by, by the way, that person did end up doing so well either. But okay, anyways, good. Uh, but, but again, why is that? I know why, though. Here's the answer. Because everything is always set up in place to favor the employer. Everything. Whether the job creators. From 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 no compete clauses in contracts. Everything benefits. (laughs) (laughs) So we we have to change that. And but everything also in this country is always against those that are making low wages. Mm -hmm. I mean, 2009 to today, the federal minimum wage is still $7.25. You saw me get it on, on my uh, box on Twitter on that. What? Yeah, yeah but people got to complain. I mean, what what brought about the latest minimum wage increase? CTAC, people striking, and uh, eventually politicians uh, cave. But if if the people who are being screwed over don't report it, because they don't think they'll get any help or whatever. It, you don't get stories like this. And, I, and it was because CBS CBS had to go search out these guys. They Actually, I don't think uh, they were complaining either, except for one small group that was striking. But they had to you know go out and go to the state employment offices and get the records to see just how widespread the problem was. So we need a campaign. We need like a Me Too, but for wage theft. Like my two cents, <laughs> right? Like hashtag two cents. And just start <laughs> pushing those stories out of wage theft until we get enough momentum, just like the Me Too did when all the women went, yeah, we all been harassed. We need that for wage theft. Do you want to start it? <laughs> Come on, is, you're fired up. You're is, ready. Is 2023. People have been complaining about this for a hundred years. Women have been complaining about this since the birth I, of women. We can do it, G. I, I, Nothing's impossible. I, you want to start it on the you, Gina no, Ursula what, what's, show? What's happening is, is you, I'm, I'm trying to get out of here without saying what I really want to say. What? And I, no, nah, I, I can't, I can't do it <laughs> because we has, the history of this country yeah. has, oh, that has really been um, favored to a certain demographic in this country. But I, I'm going to get out of this we topic. We can change that, no, G. No. Right here. No. We got big Man. microphones. No, ho- hopefully, hopefully we'll see our first employer go to prison for wage mm. theft. I would love for you guys to report on that. Well, All right. If it happens, we will. <laughs> Why would we not report on that? <laughs> this is Seattle's Morning News. Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien and Chris Sullivan. Tax season is here, and I thought we'd get up to date uh, on your taxes and on a certain former president's taxes with Ken Williams of Clifton Larson Allen. So the first thing I want to ask you is, what is the update on IRS staffing? I know that President Biden was going to, of course, hire uh, thousands of additional agents, but the Republicans want to cut it. So where does it stand at this point? Congress passed this budget package to hire 87,000 new employees, and they wanted to focus in on enforcing the tax law and compliance. The reality is it's probably going to take, you know, four or five years for them to hire all those people and then to get them trained. It's also important to keep in mind that of that 87,000, the IRS has just lost about 23,000 employees uh, in the last few years, and they anticipate losing about another 50,000 over the next few years, those that are retiring and so forth. So a lot of this is replacement. 
But they are going to be spending a lot of money on trying to improve the efficiency of identifying people who aren't complying with the tax law using artificial intelligence and so forth to identify areas where uh, maybe there's uh, more uh, low-hanging fruit for them to go after. And President Biden has focused the energy on trying to increase compliance emphasis for the most wealthy. There seems to be a perception that the, the most wealthy are the ones that are taking advantage of the tax laws, perhaps inappropriately, and that more compliance could be done there. This is not going we, after the middle class? Well, let's hope not. Uh, you know, none of us want to none of us want to be in the crosshairs. Treasury did a study uh, a few years ago where they estimated almost half a trillion dollars of lost revenue because of failure to comply with the tax law. And some have estimated that that's actually higher. So there's a lot of money to be had there if they can increase compliance. Huh. So half a trillion. And, and this is money that is actually owed to the IRS. This doesn't represent a tax increase. This is just money that the, the, these just taxes people are evading. Right. They did a study from tax returns filed from 2014 through, I believe, 2016, looking at it saying where they actually audited returns and said, what was the shortfall when we looked through everything and said, what should these people have paid? And they extrapolated that to the larger population and said, if we assumed this shortfall applied to everyone equally, you know, how much money would uh, would we be able to bring in if everyone were fully compliant? And they estimated $500 billion. So wow. a very large number. Okay. Uh, the The Trump tax returns have been out for weeks now. And uh, they've dropped completely out of the news. But I'm still interested because I'm trying to figure out, Ken, how you can lose. I think it didn't he actually take a loss of like 13 million dollars or something. How do you how do you lose that much money and still be able to operate a place like Mar-a-Lago? A million here, a million there. Pretty soon you're talking about a lot of money. Right. And, uh, for example, Trump's 2015 return had a $76 million loss carry forward from prior years. So he had incurred $76 million of losses from previous years that he used to offset his 2015 tax liability. And subsequent years, in 2016, he showed $32 million of loss, 2017, almost $13 million, showed income in 2018, and then in 2020, he had a big loss. Of course, COVID probably impacted a lot of his properties. But yeah, one starts to ask, where's all this money coming from? Did he really lose that much money? and Or is he just being super smart with regard to his taxes? And the reality is, it's kind of hard to tell from just looking at the tax return. It's kind of like looking through a keyhole, and you're not quite sure if you're seeing the whole picture. Uh, is he just losing a lot of money, or is he doing some really clever th tax things, or is some of the numbers a little bit inflated in terms of deductions? In the past year, some people's homes have lost value. It was worth one thing last year, and it's worth substantially less uh, this year. Uh, some stock portfolios have lost a lot of value over the past year. Can, can you declare that on your tax form? I lost uh, yeah, half a million dollars in, uh, in value on my stock fund. Yeah, a lot of people would like to be able to take those losses when the value of their home goes down or their stock portfolios go down. Of course, they don't want to necessarily pay tax on them when they go up. I don't think anybody <laughs> else are excited about paying taxes on the increase in value in our home unless we sell it. And that's been the, the way that the tax laws are written is that you can ha experience a gain or a loss in value, but the only time you 
pay tax on that or get a deduction is when that gain is what we say is realized and recognized. So you you have a transaction that says, okay, I sold that property or I sold that stock for a loss. Now I can claim that loss. But the value can go up or down and, and they don't want to create a system where you're having to come up with cash you don't have just to pay tax on the value of your home increasing yeah. in value, for example. So so the losses that, that Donald Trump claimed can't just be losses on paper. This has to be actual cash losses, right? Well, in theory, although there are lots of ways to uh, to using the tax law to take advantage of those things. That was one of the criticisms is uh, some charitable contributions that he took for some property that he donated and how that property was valued. Was the value overstated on, on what that was worth? He argued that it was worth X. And on another piece of paper, he argued that it was worth Y. So to, to save real estate taxes. So that's part of uh, what people are looking at and saying, gee, it sure would be light, nice to have some more information on this to say, was there some gamesmanship going on here in the values that were used for some of these write-offs? Well, understand me. I'm, I'm not trying to get Trump put in jail. I'm trying to learn from uh, what he's done on his tax return. So did you see anything in those returns that ordinary non-rich people could use to legally cut their own tax bills? Yeah, looking at his tax return, there are a lot of things that are typical of someone with a return of this magnitude where you're you're claiming certain types of deductions, taking advantage of depreciation rules, you're taking advantage of uh, interest on financing different deals and the charitable contributions and so forth. Those are typical things. There are lots of things that one would look at and say, well, that's out of my league. There are, <laughs> there's a lot of tax planning that can be done only if you have a lot of money to throw around. You know, the old saying, it takes money to make money. Sometimes it also takes money to save taxes and a long-term view of things that you're going to say, well, I'll, I'll do this because it'll generate a loss now and it'll appreciate over time. I can take the loss now and I get value over time. But, of course, that's harder to do when all you got is a paycheck. Hmm. Kenneth Williams of Clifton, Larson, Allen. Ken, thanks very much. Thank you, Dave. 849. Netflix is about to crack down. The gravy train is over. No more password sharing. And here to discuss... Is Cairo News Radio's password sharing expert and an unrepentant password sharer Prolific herself, password sharing, yes. yeah. and a password sharee as well, Mickey Gomez. Yes, thank you very much, Dave, for that wonderful introduction. So back in October, Netflix announced that they were going to change their policies on sharing passwords, and uh, that meant that account holders were no longer going to be able to share passcodes. Boo! Then last week, they confirmed in a shareholder letter that sharing passwords for free would come to a halt by the end of March. So Netflix is going to make us pay to add sub-accounts for anyone using a subscription outside of our household. Um, In the letter, they detailed that account sharing, uh, which is said to be done by at least 100 million households, me included, undermines the ability to invest and improve Uh the Undermines the ability for CEOs and executives to have bonuses. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, read between the lines, right? Yeah, exactly. And even though they had losses early last, last year, Netflix did post a healthy boost 
during fourth quarter earnings. So I don't know what they're talking about. So just get ready to pay more if you want to share your account. How much do you, How much more? Sorry, Dave. Well, they didn't really say yet. They haven't come out with oh, those details on. as of yet. I, all I know is that I feel like every six months I get a, an email or a text message from Netflix saying that they're going to increase the price, our monthly, uh, you know, our monthly membership. Well, they say they're giving you the opportunity to mm-hmm. buy an upgraded subscription that includes other yes. people on the account. But the, so the question is, and then, mm-hmm. they, then they're going to put these annoying reminders if you don't do right. it, saying, you know, mm-hmm. you're like unregistered. But what they're worried about is that some people who really believe in password sharing are going to cancel as a result. So, oh, no way. Well, that's that's my question for an uh, expert on password sharing. So, Mickey Are you gonna? So, would you cancel if they really do enforce this? Well, we're not going to cancel. I mean, no. it's, nobody's it, going to get nobody's going to get rid of this exactly, and somebody's going to find a way around it, right? I mean, yeah. I know you can still have your your less expensive account where you don't share a passcode with anyone, and you can still afford Netflix. But what we're probably going to have to do is uh, start paying more. Because we share the passcodes with family members, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, uh, my best friend in San Francisco. He, in return, shares one of his premium accounts, uh, passwords with me and uh, and his godchildren. So, and I know you, know you don't want to charge your mother-in-law and father, but like it's up to that. You've been generous enough to share. Okay, people, if you're using somebody else's account, it's on you to say, hey, I want to kick you an extra 10 bucks on Venmo. Right, every but month. my like, mom... My mother-in-law and my father-in-law, they, they live on fixed budgets. Uh, yeah, they got fine. They got rid of cable. They're paying for internet. But so. do the right thing if you're somebody sure. who uses another account and offer to help offset the cost. Because it's probably going to be less expensive than getting your own Netflix account still. I agree. At this point. Which is why when we said to my best friend, he was like, hey, girl, you, you got that password for Paramount Plus? And I'm like, yeah, I do. He, he said, I'll you give you my. Good. <laughs> you got, right. <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, I, he said, I'll give you my my Apple TV, you know, password. And you can watch Apple TV. There's a series on there that you like, the morning show. And I'm like, ah, let's a new do it. system of bartering. So I we love bartered, it. exactly. Yeah. But now, no more. Um, you know, and I think Netflix is just trying to stay competitive and in the game. I mean, because you think about it, there's so many other movie apps out there. And Hulu has teamed up with Disney. So for like the low, low price of almost $10 a month, you can have Hulu and Disney. Uh, Paramount Plus just teamed up with Showtime. So they have a deal. I so, have an idea. Uh-huh. Let's take all of these services and mm-hmm. put them in one place and call it cable <laughs> and but pay then, one price per month. Right. But we're saving. And I added it up. I did the numbers, Colleen. I did the numbers. We are saving $200 a month yeah. by having Netflix and Hulu and Paramount Whoa. versus versus having cable. cable. Yeah. Which in which you have, oh, you know, 1500 channels and you watch three of them because those have your favorite show. And somehow Comcast still gets away with charging you like one hundred and eighty dollars a month for nine hundred and ninety nine channels you don't watch. Right. And where we're not saving money is on our Internet. Two hundred dollars a month for yeah, Internet. Insane. So mm. soon. Uh, end of March. That's when uh, you're going to have to stop sharing your passwords for free and you're going to have to, you know. All right. Start asking for that cash app. Now you're ready. Thank you, Mickey. Can you're I have welcome. your password, Dave? I don't know what it is. <laughs> All I know is I turn on the TV and stuff comes on. Yeah, okay. I remember when you could just churn channel the channel. Yeah, but you'd have to get up from the couch, and yes, that's a you lot did. of work. Do you have foil on your antennas? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. You can hear us live every morning on 97.3 FM or subscribe to this podcast and you'll never miss the show.